huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast with Matthew Sardo. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ass. <laughs> Holy sh! <laughs> they're actually monkeys fighting robots! You can follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots and on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. Make sure to download and review our podcast from iTunes and Stitcher. And now, here's your host, Matt. Welcome to the 82nd episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Today is going to be a reflective show. EJ and I are talking about the first half of 2016. Wow, we are six months into the year, and it's all down here. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. I'm also the co-founder of MonkeysFightingRobots.com. Joining me in the banter is my co-host, movie critic, EJ Marino. If you have a question for the show... You can contact us three different ways. Send us a tweet, comment on the podcast itself, or send me an email at matt at popaxiom.com. EJ, how are you doing, sir? It's just crazy to think that we're halfway through July already. It's been a pretty interesting part of the year, so it's really cool to get to sit back and reflect with you of best movies, best TV, best bullshit that's all happened this year, because it's been crazy. Best bullshit that's happened this year. Oh, yeah. There's been a lot of bullshit that's happened this year. Good, bad, deaths, like new TV shows, new movies. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a good bullshitty kind of year. <laughs> Did you have fun over Fourth of July weekend or, or how are you and Mr. Giraffe doing? Well, yes, I work at the zoo and I got to hang out with the giraffes on Fourth of July. It was a good day. It's hot outside. Uh, but my fourth was good. Just seeing the fireworks saying, ooh, ah, uh, and then trying to go to sleep at 11 and realizing people are still doing fireworks. Fourth of July. <laughs> uh, not everybody is from Tampa area. What zoo do you work at? Uh, Laurie Park Zoo in Tampa, Florida. It's pretty. It's a pretty awesome zoo. It's uh, we get pretty aimed at kids, so I get to work with kids all day. I'm a photographer there, so that's what I do in my uh, my day job and night job. I get to talk about movies and do my awesome reviews. Yay reviews! I went to the Vans Warp Tour on Friday. And I had a great time there. Yeah, I saw your photos, and it looked pretty awesome. I, I, I'm so surprised at like who's at Vans Warp Tour, and like to see some of the people you got to do, and I got to learn about a new awesome Japanese band that you photographed. So really <laughs> happy about that. I was really impressed with their setup. Uh, they had seventy plus bands play through ten hours, and just the way they had the different stages set up. Have you ever gone to one of these before? Uh, I don't think I've ever been to like a Vans Warped Tour. I've been to like concerts like that, but never like the, the, the actual Vans Warped Tour. So you have the 70 bands and then you got the different stages all over the place. But then you have like a tent city of all the different bands so you can meet everybody and talk with everybody. So it was kind of like a comic convention for music. And so all the different bands, they would, uh, they would you know, play their set or whatever they would do. They would play on stage. 
and play music. But then they'd be like, hey, we're going to be at our booth from so-and-so to whatchamacallit time. So there's all these different times where you could just run around. And then the lower, the minor acts or the less famous acts were going around when they weren't on. And they were like, listen, you need to come watch our show because it's going to kick ass. There was guys promoting themselves, walking around with giant signs. So I had a really cool, like, creative vibe to it. And that's what I really enjoyed the most about it. Yeah, it's cool to see, you know, the comic book convention world influence, like, the Vans Warped Tour world. And to see them do something like that, I'm really impressed that it's such a creative, artsy environment. That's what's, I guess, good about having young talent and people really wanting that attention is you will literally do anything for it. That's pretty awesome. When I was writing about it, writing, like, a caption for the photos and everything, I was doing my research. I didn't realize the thing started in 95. It's 21 years old. Wow, I can't believe it's actually that old. Like, what would be the 95 bands for this? Like, I can't even think of them. <laughs> Grunge was just starting at that point in time. Like, Offspring? I mean, Offspring would, yeah. Offspring would like, kick the shit out of the Vans Warped Tour. <laughs> yeah, because I'm going like, to say all those, like, Grunge things, like, Alice in Chains is too, like, pretentious to go to, like, a Vans Warped Tour at that time. Nirvana, they were there for a half of a year kind of thing to make music. So, yeah, it's really funny to see who could have been there and to see where they are now. Good job, Warped Tour. Good job for, like, lasting this long. And still being fresh. Now now you actually gave me something I need to do. I need to go back and actually see what the 95 lineup for Vans Warped Tour is. And I'll do that. But we have to get to our new segment. We have a great new segment. It's the Winnipeg Weather Report for our super fan, Chad. Chad from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, has been with us almost since the beginning. I What I want to do with our podcast now is since we come out on Wednesday or Thursday, we need to give Chad the weather report. So that he can plan out his weekend so he knows what's going on. I mean, in Winnipeg compared to Florida, it looks pretty good. It's it's 70 degrees right now uh, for a Wednesday, and uh, we have partly cloudy. Thursday kind of looks like a downer. It's going to rain on Thursday, 75 degrees, low of 59. Friday and Saturday look to be primo days to go out in Winnipeg. Partly cloudy, high of 79. Sunday, though... The thunderstorms come in, and that that's going to be and Monday's kind of ruined, and then it just goes downhill from there. But 79, 70s, man, it's, that's for summer. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, someone who works outside in ninety six degree weather right now, I will take Chad's Winnipeg weather. I've been always wanted to move to Canada when I found out it's this big nation of hippies. So now to hear Winnipeg, like the Winnipeg like weather report, I like it. I like it a lot. And plus, they have a really good hockey team. It's called the Manitoba Moose. How can you not like the Manitoba Moose? And I think that's where Chad started. I think that's where Chad might have started following me on Twitter when I was when I was covering the Lightning. They had a player. uh, The Lightning had a player, Jonathan Druin, who played on the Manitoba Moose. And I think that's where I started getting my Manitoba fans on social media. But if you want to be a super fan and you want your own personal weather report, go to SoundCloud, go to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast, and comment on our podcast, and you will get a personal. Weather report because you are a super fan. Chad, thank you for listening and can't wait for the comments. The show today is going to reflect on the past six months of 2016, and it's been an incredible year so far because I had a kid, so my shit just went upside down. The shit just went upside down, man. Yeah, literally, there's probably shit yeah, upside shit down in upside your house. Yeah, there's shit upside down right in my house right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what's probably the craziest about it. Yeah, it's so funny that, like, as this year's been ridiculous, you have a kid and dealing with all this crazy pop culture shit, and you're still like, but I'm still knee-deep in diapers, so yay for good movies. But I'm excited. I am excited to share my pop culture knowledge with my kid at some point in time. 
yeah, I think that's so awesome to like be able to give who you are and pass it down to someone because I grew up with a mother who loves pop culture and to see how she influenced me to what I like in pop culture it's so cool so I'm going to be excited to see when you get to just make her nerdier and nerdier by the day <laughs> what, is, what is your first impression with the first half of 2016 I'm not so impressed pop culture wise with 2016 so far uh, it's it's been good for uh, some some cool weekend water cooler moments, even though people don't like stand up on water coolers anymore. But yeah, it's been cool for like quick talk moments, but I don't think there's anything been really lasting. I think a couple of the deaths of celebrities have been kind of memorable. I think we've had one or two really great movies that are going to live on, and Game of Thrones this season was probably one of their best seasons ever. So there's been little moments, but yeah, 2016, like I said in the beginning, a little it's a little bullshitty. Do you think it? Do you think it was like overhyped? I yeah, I think uh, I think we kind of we've been building up, and then uh, it, we every year like everything it gets better and better, and then this year I think it's the first time we've stepped back and been like, oh, this is everything's been okay right now. We're just a little mediocre. So maybe the second half is going to be fucking nuts. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe we're spoiled. I mean, because if you look at it just on paper, it's like Batman versus Superman. Civil War, X-Men film. I mean, like, this is supposed to be our superhero year, and we're kind of like, eh, it's okay. I, I'm hold, holding out hope for, for me, Star Trek, and then Jason Bourne, and then right after that, the, the, there's three weeks coming where it's Star Trek, Jason Bourne, and Suicide Squad, and that could be 2016 in a nutshell right there. Yeah, if we have like a really cool, good, like late summer and really kick off fall and winter seasons, because we still have Rogue One at the end of December, and that really shaped the end of like last year with all of the Force Awakens. So yeah, it's really. I think I think we could have a good later half, and it is funny that we talked about all these good superhero movies, and I think one or two of them really lived up to what everyone expected. Like Deadpool was a crazy success success this year. So you know stuff like that. There's been moments, but yeah, overall. But that wasn't even supposed to be expected. Deadpool. Deadpool was like, that's extra. That's just that's free house money right there. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree. It wasn't expected, and I think that's what kind of adds to how awesome it was for 2016. Is we get crazy things like we get Deadpool and Bernie Sanders, two underdogs, ruled pop culture this year, and I like stuff like that. And then they they should actually have it where Deadpool actually kills Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders is probably you know he's out now. He's out. We know this. He's out. (laughs) Uh, All right. So let's get to the best films of 2016 so far. On my list, I put three films down. I put Midnight Special, Everybody Wants Some, and The Witch. I put three kind of definitely indie films on my list. Yeah, my list was Batman v Superman, 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I was going to add The Shallows as like a later edition, but I kind of want to sit on that one a little bit more because it's like, the I think, one of the best B movies we've had in years i think it's it's in the, in the era of like sharknado taking over and that's what people think good b movies are and then to see the shallows be good yeah that was a, that was almost there for me but yeah I, it's so funny that you did the indie movies and i did the big mainstream films I, know, I was just looking at for me i looked at what films i just enjoyed and and not necessarily put a smile on my face but made me have emotions and Midnight Special just kind of sucked me into the whole entire story, and I enjoyed it, and I went along with the ride, and, and I, the film ended, and I kept thinking about it. Everybody wants some. It's a group of baseball guys in college, and it reminded me of my time in California with my friends and, and with the times when I play hockey, and, and that, you know, 
sports brotherhood culture that's there and the stupid shit that we do and, and that kind of, that film put a smile on my face and gave me a good warm feeling and it was it was a fun film and then the witch just scared the shit out of me like i i got out of the movie theater and i was like i can't go into the fucking woods anymore i seriously cannot like the woods bye i'm done because of this stupid movie and it really as far as scary movies go isn't that scary but it's it's a creepy ass movie that just crawls under your skin and bugs the shit out of me yeah i think the witch is perfectly described as something that like it bugs you and it's it's weird and there's it's it's one of those movies as soon as it starts there's something wrong you just know this world is weird and you don't like being there because you're uncomfortable so that's that's awesome that a movie can do that and i like that you said these movies kind of moved you and they don't have to be these 10 out of 10 cinematic gold but they 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 put something into you and i think that's what's really cool because that's what i feel about batman v superman for me i loved it i had been waiting for a superhero movie like that and not just like a superhero movie but a mainstream something that everyone was going to see like Watchmen. i think it's probably my favorite superhero movie of all time but it's not it's not no one can name all the the Watchmen. You know, that's not characters that people know where Batman v Superman. Zack Snyder slipped in a weird, pretentious movie into American cinemas and made something crazy. So that's why I love that. And 10 Cloverfield Lane, intense thriller. And I don't really like that word, but it was thrilling. It was horrific. And I got monster movie at the end. I love monster movies. Uh, that that could have made my list. But again, when I was making the list, I was like, okay, what came back? Where And I really enjoyed sitting in my seat and, and just there's certain scenes in that film where you're just like, wow, I, I'm just blown away with what's going on. And, and just having it, that's another like short story that kind of just ends. And, and that, that's the theme of my three movies is those films kind of just end and you're kind of like, wait, wait, we're done. We're done. That's, that's where, and you're still in the movie when the movie ends. And, and, and that's what I liked about all of them. Same thing with 10 Cloverfield Lane kind of had, an ending, but you knew that they were like, if we make a few bucks, we're going to make a sequel. Yeah, and I, I really want them to build the, the, the whole Cloverfield franchise to something else, because I loved the first one and I loved what this one did, so to see what they can do for another one, and maybe they keep it's a, I love anthology movies, and I think that's what I'm feeling from this, is each one's going to be so different from the other and stand out. So yeah, I, I definitely think 10 Cloverfield Lane made me look forward to the future, and that's a, uh, how I said about Batman v Superman. I'm looking forward to the, what DC offers to offer, even as soon as Suicide Squad in a couple of weeks, or a couple, actually almost yeah, a couple of weeks now, where it's going to be awesome to see what else they can create in the world where we've seen now the the main hub of it with Batman Superman and now we get to see what the lower levels of it's going to be like with Suicide Squad I can't wait for that I'm very excited for that universe and Batman Superman I, I've just been waiting for to be in the mood to watch the extended edition and and I've heard that it improved on the film and it flushes out a few more things which I'm excited for because I didn't go into that wanting to not like the film and I don't necessarily not like the film. I just think it's an average film. So I'm hoping that there's going to be a good doer's scotch mix to a Saturday night. And when I put that in so that I just enjoy that film. 
Uh, I've seen the extended cut, and I will say it did flesh out a lot of things, like uh, someone you got to see for one scene, and you're like, oh, okay, cool, but what are they going to do later? So you get to see, uh, it was like the African woman at the beginning talking, and we see a little bit more of her backstory. So there's like a little bit stuff that is like, oh, you're you're putting together more pieces. There, It's been said before with like reviews and critics of the extended cut, it's not going to change your mind completely. You're not going to really go into it now after being like, this is above average film, but I do think it it makes it more solid and more cohesive. And I kind of wish this was just released from the get go. And that's what's kind of pissing me off with Snyder is uh he did the same thing with Watchmen. Even though the Watchmen director's cut it's eighty five years long and it's like a uh, it's like a Ken Burns movie and it just keeps going and going. But it, it's a good film and I wish that was released. Same thing with Batman v Superman. Just make three hour movies. Make people sit through it. Just just release it, Zack Snyder. <laughs> It's going to be interesting to see what Justice League looks like after Batman vs. Superman and after Suicide Squad because, you know, there was a fallout. We'll both agree that there was a fallout with the film. I mean, do you want to agree with that? Oh, yeah, I completely agree. I think as much as I like it, I'm not oblivious to how many other people didn't like it. So, yeah, yeah, there's been major fallout. It'll be interesting to see what Suicide Squad looks like because there was the rumors that the film was dark and they went back in and put more jokes in it. The tone is what I'm looking for because I hope that they don't change David Iyer's vision of the film. Yeah, because David Iyer, like, he did End of Watch. I think he did Fury as well. I don't want to, like, be too short, but yeah, I think he did that. And perfect. I think he has a... He does the dark and gritty the best because he makes that dark movie fun and that's very hard to do to tell you a dark story and still keep you entertained and that's something I think a lot of people complain that Zack Snyder doesn't do so I really think David has it in him to do it because End of Watch was a thrilling kind of a hell of a movie for it being as interesting and different as it was and I don't this whole reshoot for Suicide Squad putting more jokes first off movies do reshoots every movie doesn't that's just how they happen it doesn't matter if it's reshoots for production or because someone's makeup looked like shit. They just happened. So I think they got labeled something, and that's just how the media took it. But even if they did, there's going to be jokes in it anyway. You have two clowns in a movie. You can't not tell a joke. Wait, there's two clowns? Well, Harley and Joker. Like, oh, okay. Harley's not. A, is she a clown? Do we consider her a clown? I don't, well, I guess in the more traditional Harley, she is a little bit more clown-based. But, yeah, she, to me, she's she's a little clowny, and I think... I think she's also the comedic part of it. Like, as intricate as she is to uh, to what the part of the story is going to be, the plot base and bringing the Joker in, she's going to be the the one that we laugh at the most. I think we're going to laugh at Captain Boomerang a lot too because uh, I think that actor's great. Uh, is it Jai Courtney, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's he's pretty funny and he looks great in the movie. But I, I do think Harley's going to be the laugh out loud moments. Each time. I just want like a 15 minute opening sequence between Batman and the Joker and that just how it builds the story off. Because you know that there's a big scene through Toronto. I don't, you know, I'm sure they'll call it Gotham or whatever it is. But there's the big chase scene that they've seen all the pictures from. And I'm just hoping that thing is like 15 minutes long. And then they go into the, the Suicide Squad movie. I'm like, I hope it's two separate things. Well, um, I love the film Assault on Arkham, and I've just been hoping my uh, my just hoping this is what the movie's going to be about is that animated film Assault on Arkham because that's what they did. They started out with telling you. 
this is the 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 jo- the Batman Joker story. This is the overarching thing that's happening because this is a big universe. But look at this little story that's happening right here with the Suicide Squad and how they're kind of moving behind the scenes with all the Batman drama. So yeah, I definitely think that's a good prediction. I do think we're going to get a good heavy Batman Joker scene to kick off everything and then we're going to cut to right to the Amanda Waller saying we need to set up these people. Hmm. I, I we spent half of our uh film film discussion on the next part of 2016. So I guess that's that's how good the first part of 2016 was. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, we talked about your cool indie movies that did fulfilling, but they're indie movies. It's not like a lot of them are going to get sequels after. It's not even though like everybody wants them was like a quasi sequel, whatever it kind of was that like Linklater wanted it to be. But yeah, I think I think it's interesting that we are kind of more excited for the second half than the first half. But you know what was impressive was television in 2016. Television ruled this time and very rarely does TV beat movies by a long shot. And it did so far. It has on my list of the best of best TV shows 2016 so far. I had 11, 63, the Hulu uh, series. Then daredevil season two came out. That was this year, right? I feel like yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. And then my just, I still haven't even finished it because the show is so awkward, but it's so good. Animals, the animated Dublas brothers show on HBO is so freaking good, but so creepy all at the same time. And I, I still, it takes me such a long time to just finish that. Because even though it's just a half an hour cartoon, it is some messed up shit going on there. Yeah, it, it, it's so funny that we talked about that. I think one of our first podcasts together, we talked about how crazy that show was. And, oh, Chad, I think Chad sent us that comment to bring this all full circle. I think he <laughs> talked about that first. And, we you know, we talked about it all. And, yeah, that show is crazy. It makes Adult Swim look like a joke. It shows you how awkward and funny something can be and still be really different. Uh, house 11 or 23 i forgot the date oh, 11 when they because he goes john james franco goes back in time to stop the jfk assassination and it's a stephen king book uh and they, they did a, like a weekly series on hulu so it changed the whole binge watching and got you back into the moment of oh my god this is much watched tv they're they're going to release it on a certain day and it's going to come out you get to watch the one episode and then you get to think about it for the next week. And then you come back and you're like, what are they going to do? And it got me into like a whole Lost realm because when Lost was out, I, you know, you were kind of obsessed with that. And it just, it was just really good. And then in Stephen King fashion, it, it was a Stephen King film series, whatever it was. It, it finished in a perfect Stephen King way. And I was like, ah, oh. because I was all in on the sci-fi route and the time travel and all that craziness. And then Stephen King twists it, and he's like, this is how it's going to end. And I'm like, oh, God, you're such a good writer. And I, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, I've been a, a King fan I, uh, since I'm young, but obviously since I've been born, because he's created crazy things since I've been after born, since before. He's awesome, and I've been really excited for that. I'm a huge James Franco fan. I love that weirdo, artsy dude. He's awesome. So I'm excited to see him in that. And you kind of sold me on the show it, I, I miss that weekly format thing because on one of my favorite ones this year, and it's on my list, it's Orange is the New Black. And I had to force myself to watch like two episodes at a time to not go through it in a weekend because I hate that. I, I really – I like the idea of binge-watching culture, but I really like that anticipation and you want something and you can't wait for that next episode. And you know, with something I love that like – like Orange is the New Black, I didn't really get to have that. So I wish I could have seen uh, 11 63 like that. 
And just to put on it, James Franco is the worst time traveler of all time. Like every rule that you're not supposed to do in time travel, James Franco's like, whatever, I'm just doing it anyway. Uh, Hold on. So- Did he beat Barry Allen this year in <laughs> worst time travel people? Because Barry kind of topped it. We forgot about how, which that was another great show this year. The Flash was really good. We you know we talked about so many great ones, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> does Franco beat Barry Allen's time travel? I think problems? Franco inspired my annoyance with dumb time time travel <laughs> because what Franco was doing. Then when Barry started doing his stuff, I was like, why is he why is he pulling the James Franco, man? Why is he pulling the James Franco? That's perfect. And I did forget Netflix uh had another I, I blew through the new Voltron. The new Voltron was awesome. And as a as a kid of the eighties that watched that show and enjoyed it and watched it a million times over to get a new show with it was by DreamWorks and they they, they had it was definitely for kids. The, I mean, but it's it's still written for adults. And the twist at the end of the first season, I was like, are you freaking kidding me? You're pulling this off in a cartoon? And I was like, you sons of bitches. You want, I immediately wanted to watch the next, the next show. Uh, and it ended. And it ended on a cliffhanger. And I can't believe they did it to me. And, and they kind of, they, and they also kind of annoyed me in the first episode because the first episode's an hour long. And I was like, oh my God, are they all going to be an hour long? And I was like, this is going to be great. And then I get to episode two, and it's like, half hour. I was like, oh, because I hate half hour formulaic television. Like, you know when the beats are going to hit because you, there's just a certain amount of time. But luckily, Voltron is is just not a half hour show. It's it's more like, a, you know, a six hour movie. Most like Netflix's films that they are like Daredevil and the other Netflix shows that they do. It, it had... Some closing marks, but most of the time it was just like, oh, look, it's ending. And I'm like, oh, I have to watch the next one. But the, I wanted to talk to you about that with Orange and New Black is, is you talked about like, oh, I had to force myself to only watch two episodes. I remember with Daredevil, this happened and I'm trying, Voltron, maybe a little bit, but it's shorter. But you get fatigue. So, you're, you know, once you start binging and you're like, oh, I'm hour four in, you're like, uh, the fourth episode kind of sucked. No, it's you need to go to fucking sleep. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think that's one of the problems I've had with binge watching is I remember doing that with uh, uh, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I love that show. I think it's hilarious. Uh, and the first <laughs> the first season, I, I, I watched a lot of it. And I was just like, by the end of it, I was just like, okay, I know the show is like uppity, crazy, like ridiculousness. But this is annoying me now, and that's when I like took back, stopped, and you know kept watching, and I did enjoy it. So, uh, so yeah, I definitely think that is a problem with it that you binge watch, and it happens. And on um, oh God, I had so many crazy things on my list. Like I got to see something on TV, weekly episodic, something that I've been wanting is Lucha Underground on the El Rey Network, which is Robert Rodriguez's channel. That I thought that played. was a Spanish network for the longest time. Well, it kind of is because it's still Robert Rodriguez. No, but he- I thought it was actually like in. I thought El Rey was like a straight up like. Spanish t- station like I thought it was like Telemundo but El Rey something new and then it's been around for a while and then my friend started working for them in the marketing department and I was like isn't El Rey and like he's I think he's of some ethnic background that could be Latin or Spanish so I don't want to I don't want to say where, where he's from and screwed up but I was like oh it makes sense like you're working there because it's Spanish and he's like no it's an English station and I was like Nobody knows it's an English station. And yeah, like, I know. Nobody knows until they go and they see that they're only playing Knight Rider and Godzilla movies this whole month. I thought they were all dubbed. I thought it was Spanish dubbed. 
nope, nope, nope. It's just Robert Rodriguez finds his favorite movies and all the crazy things he loves and just puts them on a network. Um, there's a lot of Spanish influence, but then there's – if you want to talk about dubs, there's so many old kung fu movies on there from like oh, 63 and so everything. Good. Love it. It's so awesome. But yeah, he does a he does a wrestling show on there. I've been waiting for this as soon as I saw him and Mark Burnett, um, which Mark Burnett does like every reality show on TV. They executive produce it and it's wrestling like WWE does, but it does it in a weekly format. So it feels like from Dust Till Dawn or Preacher, that kind of like Mexican, Latino influenced Southern feeling. And uh, it's awesome. Like their championship belts made a cursed Aztec gold. Their champion used to be like a like a dead man, kind of like an Undertaker kind of character. They have a guy who used to be a dragon, and now he turns into a person when he wrestles. Yeah, it's awesome. It's the most campy, ridiculous stuff. But the wrestling is bloody, man. It's crazy. It's so graphic, and it's so fun to see something like that on TV. That it, it's cool to see a wrestling show, but also they're making a TV show and a good drama, and it's it's interesting, and I really like to see that. And Speaking of good drama on TV, it's been Scream. I've loved Scream on MTV right now. I'm going to venture into the MTV television world because their Narnia TV show is now on Netflix. And I'm totally butchering the name. But MTV, I, I, I still can't. I know them for the Jersey Shore. I don't know them for creating good television yeah, I uh, I kind of noticed when uh, I would kind of peek in and see what Teen Wolf would look like, and it's it's they they are definitely aimed for like a young adult kind of area, but what they do with Scream and what they get away with on MTV with gore, I'm like, oh okay guys, this is good. They had a really campy uh, show called Death Valley for a while, and it was like Reno 911 but with zombies, werewolves, and vampires, and it was ridiculous. And that's when I'm like. Oh shit, MTV! There's something here. You guys are kind of creating something good. And after we got out of reality shows, we're trying to make scripted TV, and they're doing pretty good. And Scream, I haven't seen a good who done it in a while, and I can't predict who the killer is on Scream right now. And that's my favorite thing is when you can't figure it out. So I think that's why it's on my favorite list because it's a good who done it, and it's a good drama. Did you like Scream Queens? Did you watch that? Oh yeah, I can't wait for this oh, season. Oh my god, that show is so good. I uh, like. <laughs> Like, Niecy Nash's Denise Hemfield, like, just every character was great. Even Ariana Grande was hilariously dumb on there. Nick Jonas, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something I'm really excited for for the later half of this year. Uh, also, you know, to talk about more later half, like, American Horror Stories coming back. Always look forward to what they're oh, going to do each season. That show is so creepy, man. It's so cool what they do is because rarely it, – it's an FX show, and that's what I love about FX because I thought that way about Nip Tuck. I loved every season of Nip Tuck, but it was really creepy in this in this interesting way, and that's what I feel American Horror Story brings too. Wow, my wife loves American Horror Story, and I can I can barely watch that stuff. I made it through the, the carnival one because I really like the carnival atmosphere and the fact that they actually got like actual freaks to be actors mm -hmm. in it, and I was like, this is – brilliant and it was creepy and of course there's clowns i don't know why i i was like oh i'm so scared but i like clowns being scary for some reason i don't know uh but i love that season but then when i went to the hotel i was just like uh what's your schmidt from new girl got raped in the first episode to death and i was like and i'm done and then to sell me more right after a crazy rape scene we get lady gaga in this like blood orgy and i'm like oh is Ryan Murphy like reading my diary because this is all I've ever wanted in my life? I was just like, eh, yeah. And I was like, I am so done. And I would walk into the 
I'd walk into the living room. My wife would be watching it. I'd be like, oh, you're watching that show. And I'm walking right back out. And I was like, oh. You just walk in and you're like, oh, and there's like a twisted dildo and some blood drinking. I'm going to walk back out of the room now. Oh, that's what American Horror Story does. And yeah, can't wait for that for the later half of this year. Is anything like later 2016 TV you're looking forward to? Like Luke motherfucking Cage! Luke Cage! Oh, I, I kind of forgot Luke Cage. I know! Year. I was kind of forgot that until this episode and I was kind of looking through. I was like, what's going on? Luke Cage is coming out! Oh man, another Netflix show. Marvel, they do it so well. And it's, did you watch The Wire? Oh, yeah. 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 I'm I'm a human being in like America. I've watched The Wire. They want Luke Cage to be the wire of the Marvel Comics universe. I was like, yes, do that over and over and over again. Well, yeah, that's how I felt about watching Jessica Jones, because that feels like nothing else in the Marvel Universe. That doesn't feel like Daredevil, which was something I was a little worried about that I thought it was going to have that feeling of that. And I loved what Jessica Jones did. So to see what they're going to do with now with uh, with Luke Cage and then Iron Fist later on, yeah, I'm very excited for what they can do and oh. that they're creating a good alternative. If this Marvel like cinematic universe that's on Netflix was in the movies, I would have been a Marvel fanboy from the get-go. Um, yeah, they're, they're doing good. You're a fanboy. And I apologize if I... Broke your eardrums on my Luke Cage there. I, I apologize if I did that. Oh, no. The Luke Cage <laughs> is exciting because, dude, seeing him on Jessica Jones and, like, liking him as a comic book character and to see what he's going to do now, I can't wait. Like, I love when Luke Cage got to do some stuff with Wolverine in the comics. So now to see him, like, the possibilities of, like, what we can hint at at least, even if I don't see anything. Like, just him making a Wolverine joke in this show would make me happy. Like, I can't Sweet wait. Sweet Christmas. That's all I need to hear. Sweet Christmas and, and then we're good. I, this is a little sidebar because we're talking about Marvel Comics right here. There was a big announcement, and I just want your feedback on this. There was a big announcement today that a 15-year-old girl will replace Tony Stark as the Iron Man of the Marvel Comics universe. And the one thing that kept coming up is, and when I was looking and researching and writing the post, I wrote the post, but then I started, you know, I look at everybody else's post, and everybody was writing 15, 15-year-old black woman. And I was like... That's no, it, it should be 15 year old black girl. And I actually was like, you know what? It doesn't need to be a black white issue. I was just like 15 year old MIT student takes over as new Iron Man because I wanted to emphasize that the person was smart over the person being of color, because I think that's where the issue is with a lot of things. And then, and then Brian Michael Bandis is a fat white dude writing about ethnic problems in Chicago, and I was just like, you know what? I don't really think you understand where they're coming from. No, and I don't think that's always, un- like, not fair to say you can't write about something you don't know because as much as writers do do that, you know, I-, I appreciate you trying to tell a story. I'll wait to see how the story's told and to see how it is, but I, I love the change. I- you know, I think Marvel fans, and I think Marvel in general has never really been one. Like, there's been so many Robins, and, you know, they interchange characters a lot, and I I think I want to see Marvel do that, and I like that we're getting to see, like, there's a new Thor, and there's been, like, the Asian Hulk, and now to see it's been cool. I think that's interesting, and I I don't mind that she's a black girl. I don't mind that she's 15. I thought it was really funny that, because I saw that a couple times, there's, like, 15-year-old woman, and I'm like, I don't know if we know what woman is, but that's not the age for a woman. Like, I think it's important to call her a girl because that's what makes her even better. Like, right. that's not that's not making her less that she's a woman. That's making it awesome that she's 15 year old and just as awesome as Tony Stark. We need to emphasize that she's a little kid. Like, we need to emphasize that she's a girl. And my other issue with it is if the cover that I put on, on the website. She looks like a 25 year old supermodel. 
And I was just like, ah, oh, seriously? You, you, you're just like, oh, we want diversity. And then you slut them up. And I was just like, come on. Yeah, I would have loved to see a little cute girl with little Afro puffs, just very natural. And that could have been the moment. That's what I, when you were saying about like the Bendis thing of like, the, he isn't telling it right. Even from that photo, I was just like, we sexualized her really quickly. Like, I would have loved to see her be this frumpy kind of nerd looking thing and then maybe to see her grow into something sexy and kind of grow into it but she's a 15 year old MIT student she doesn't look like that right that's- and then that's the thing is they have other I was researching the character there's other images of her where she kind of looks a little bit nerdier and I was like why like who's the editor I, I could find out who the editor is that approved that cover for Invincible Iron Man it's like oh this is a 15 year old girl and I was like trying to sit there and I'm like Am I that far removed to where I think this girl looks 25 and not 15? Like, when that cover? And I was like, am I the weirdo? I'm like, why does she have a midriff shirt if she's a smart person? Like, what what are we emphasizing here in the comic book? And it just, it just bothered me on so many different levels. And the reason why I mentioned the thing about Bendis is he, in his quote in Time Magazine, he's like, oh, I was out in Chicago working on my film on my tv show that kind of didn't go off and i was like i met a lot of interesting people and there was a lot of plight in chicago and in that time i i I got inspired for this character and i was like i'm like listen you cream puff you were never once in the environment in the hood of chicago there was no chance of you actually realizing what was going on so that comment just bothers me because i've from working in the service industry in Chicago and, and I'm a, I'm a white dude. I've kind of stay really far away from all drama, but you know, there's, I've, I've heard gunfire and I've hid behind my friends because I'm a scaredy cat and I don't want to get shot. But <laughs> there, there's something about being in like Cabrini green and those areas. I have gone into some clubs down there, the red dragon in Cabrini green. I remember there's, there's a, there's a booth in Cabrini green, which is no longer there anymore where there was a, security tower booth thing and it had bulletproof glass but they used to use it for target practice hmm. and i'm like bendis if you were anywhere near any of this it would have it would i i don't see him being the person to voice this and then this kind of leads into my conversation that i had with sam humphreys where he talks about we need to have diversity in the writer's room in the editorial booth to where you're actually creating an environment where you're having people create coming from experiences as opposed to kind of reading into situations and kind of, because it just doesn't just never comes off for me. Well, with, with Brian Michael Bendis. Well, that was a big thing in orange is the new black this season is they, they did a lot of the black lives matter movement. And that was kind of a big focus is a lot of the race issue and the writers are mostly white people. So a lot of the issue was, was are you guys just showing our story for entertainment and not trying to send a message. And I think that's what a lot of the Michael Bendis is. One, white people really want to be oppressed. <laughs> like, white people have this thing of, like, oh, that the black struggle or the gay struggle or something. I want to know what it's like. I don't go to a trailer park and be like, hmm, I really want to live in one of these. I really want to engulf myself in this life. I don't get it. And I don't understand why, like you said, why can't we have people of color or someone who can tell the story from a little bit more authentic place, tell the story. And I wish Bendis would do it a little bit better and it's probably not going to happen, but it happens from comic books to orange to new black to movies. 
it, it's it's hard and it does need to happen. But I think this generation will push a lot more diversity into the writers' room. My biggest problem with all the diversity going on in with Marvel, number one for me, it kind of feels forced. Number two, I know who's writing these books, to where I know it's not organic. There's actual, there's probably actual meetings where we're like, eh, we need to diversify our lineup. What are we going to do? And there's a whole bunch of white dudes sitting in a room going like, I think we should make an Asian Hulk. I think we should make Thor a female. Like it's, it's a whole bunch of dudes in a room and Mm -hmm. making these kind of silly decisions. And it, I, I feel like, and I know that they'll yell at me and I, I'm fine with it, but I, I still feel like it's forced and it's not coming from a good place. I mean, it's it you because it's owned by Disney now, so you know that there's a dude from Disney that walks down there. It's like, hey, we this is, we're looking at we're running the numbers on diversity, and we know realize that you need this character and that character and that character, and those things happened. And also, this is the second time it's gone through for me. You know, with, when I, I read comic books in the '90s, and they were like, okay, we're going to introduce these characters, but what they did then is they actually created new characters that were diverse, which I am a fan of more than being like, hey, we're going to make a black Iron Man or we're going to make, you know, everything, all the same characters. We're just going to put an ethnic person to them. And I was like, I just uh, I just don't get it. It frustrates me because I, I know that there's a lot of really good writers out there in the world and they just need a chance to to, to show their things. And if Brian Michael Bendis cared about diversity in comic books, he should be like, hey, I want to work with this person. And this is where it also gets dicey. Is like, I want to work with this person at ethnicity. And be like, hey, let's work on this together so that we can write a killer book. Like, Because Brian Michael Bendis is an amazing writer. I'm not saying he isn't. But it's not like he's promoting diversity at Marvel Comics. He's promoting the face of Marvel Comics as looking diverse. Diverse. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's very hard to do, to be that kind of guy like a Bendis and actually tell the story or, or authentically and do it. Because I think Josh Whedon does it very well. He did it with Buffy as he's some awkward, nerdy white dude, but told a great hardcore feminist story because he had females on his writing staff. And he had that like input of like, what were you like in high school? And what was the struggles you went through? Because he had that communication. And I, I do think I agree with you. I do think if we want to tell that story, at least ask more people instead of being like, well, I noticed the struggle. No, get these people onto your staff. Get them to get a half a writing credit. Be like, you know, Bendis does the whole story with some little influence. But it's just something stupid like that would really help make your story believable and authentic and wouldn't have this. We wouldn't have this conversation if things like this were happening from the get go. And let's bring this back to TV. Because one of the re- one of the reasons why The Wire is one of the best television shows ever is they had actual drug dealers as the drug dealers mm-hmm. <laughs> as actors. They had actual people from the Baltimore area that were drug dealers that were slinging the stuff in the film or in the TV show. Yeah, you're getting you're telling it the best way you know how to. And that that was smart for the wire to do, and we do need to see more things like that. And I really hope that can kind of that that wire influence and it can go everywhere because I would love to see. I don't want to see forced diversity. I want to see authentic diversity. And I remember Michelle Rodriguez got into a big flack a couple of years ago when she said, "I don't like the whitewash or the uh, the race swapping of characters because we should just make new characters that are that race." And everyone got mad at her, and I'm like, 
she kind of has a point. Like, I, that's cool that we are getting some diversity, but we wouldn't have this problem if we had these characters built for us already. I'm, I'm a big proponent of creativity over laziness. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what I think that is when they're like, oh, we're going to make this person a different race. And I don't even get into this conversation because... I'm a, I'm a tall white dude and I really have no place in it. You know, I mean, it's, I, I know what I grew up with and I know what I like and I, I, I like you. I like you, EJ. Well, yeah. And I think like <laughs> you, you get it, but like, and I think that's where you do have a place to say things like this. Cause you, 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 you get it and you organically actually appreciate people who are different. And I, and I appreciate that about you. So, yeah, I think it's really cool that you actually get to say things like this and it seems real. And this is where we're going to put this conversation to bed and move on. And I wanted to talk about best pop culture moments of 2016 so far. And you and I have only come up with negative ones. So I think we're just going to we're going to put that one to the side I, and we're going to move on to something that I think is going to churn the brain a little bit more because... I, I was preparing for my Daryl McDaniels interview uh, yesterday, uh, DMC of Run DMC, and I was like, okay, and I love talking about music, and I love asking quality musicians, when do they think the next music revolution is going to come from? You know, where do they see it? When do they see it? How's it going to happen? And then I was like, wait a second. I was like, we're in a presidential election now. I was like, Daryl, do you think there's a better chance of President Hillary Clinton sparking a a music revolution or do you think there's a better chance of president Donald Trump sparking that revolution? The problem that I had is that my eight minute interview, Daryl talked the whole entire time. I never actually got to ask a lot of questions. So I never got to ask that question to you, EJ, which presidential candidate would be better for pop culture? Without a doubt, a hundred percent Trump. Um, not that I'm like endorsing him or anything and that's not what I'm trying to do, but the best art is created under conservative restraints. It was my favorite, like one of my favorite eras for horror films is the 1980s. It's that Reagan era where they hated the Friday the 13th movies, but all that movie was promoting is killing people who do drugs and have sex premaritally. And it's so funny that like what we do under art when we're conservative we have those limitations on us and we want to rebel harder. And if we have a liberal kind of feeling, we don't really get to have that rebel and we don't really feel that we need to rage against the machine because there's no machine to, because they're, they're for us. You know, we, we've had this, the Barack era where I've seen a lot of like shock art and a lot of offensive things kind of die out. And other than me getting a Kanye West music video that pisses everybody off, We've been kind of like low on shock art and things that really push boundaries in art and really piss people off and get people talking. So I really want to see what Trump could do for music and for performance art and for movies and TV and what that could do and how that can change our mindset. Totally agree with you. I think Donald Trump would be the better presidential candidate to inspire us to create better pop culture. When George W. Bush was in office, I think I got the right... Yeah, I got W right in there. That's when Civil War came out of Marvel, and they were adamant that this was in reference to uh, George W. Bush's re regime. I remember when Obama won, they were so happy that they put Obama on the front cover of Amazing Spider-Man. They were even talking about this with the Brexit over in England. You know, the last time that they had this horrible economic times or, or economic strife and all this other stuff that was going on, that's when punk music came out. 
in England and that totally destroyed music in a good way. And I'm trying to think of where, you know, you had George, you had Reagan and then you had Bush and, and grunge came out of that movement. You had all that great stuff coming out of there. Well, Hip hop was so angry, right? George Bush, because I remember that one of the biggest things I just mentioned too was Kanye West's "George Bush doesn't care about black people" launched his career for what we know as Kanye now, and that would have never happened if we didn't have that Bush era. And it is so funny that we get these moments that it gets aggressive, and I like that, and I love that to see that with these kind of the Reagan era with like the hardcore, like the public enemy kind of mindset of rap music and stuff like that. I want to see more of that. And I really want to see what we could do under that, that conservative regime. And not that I really need that in our life. And, you know, we just kind of had a nice liberal couple years and I was kind of happy about that. And, you know, as much as I don't want to go back to conservative mindset, I do want to see what art can do when we're pushed to be more aggressive. Yeah. I, it's, uh, he got Ice T. He was doing Cop Killer mm-hmm. it, it, during that time after the Reagan and, and Bush era, right? The, the the first round of Reagan and Reagan and Bush. There's only one round of Reagan and Bush, but then you know two rounds of Bush. However way you want to put it, there. Part of me actually wants Donald Trump to win so that this stuff could happen because I really hate where we are musically. I think it's really stagnant what's going on and. And films are, are, are decent, but I'm trying to think of, I want, I need something. To, I need some sort of revolution. Because I feel like we're just really lazy. We're like, oh, social media, change our icons, whatever it is. I, I, I want something to kick in. And I don't know if we can do it anymore. Yeah, I don't know if that's still here because I've seen it go through film history with like the 70s and we were really pissed with a lot of the wars and stuff and films reflected that. We had Texas Chainsaw Massacre that was dealing with issues and we do reflect that because that's my favorite genre obviously we've talked about a lot is horror films and they really do reflect our times more than really a lot of other things. I think it's horror films and music, especially counterculture music. If it's punk, if it's grunge, if it's rap. They really do have their finger on the pulse, and we get to put our finger back on that pulse once we get motivated to do it. Uh, I remember on TV to see RuPaul's Drag Race come right at the end of Bush, early Obama, and that's because it was easier to be gay-friendly, and it was interesting to see it. But now we've gotten so—now gay isn't enough. Now it's something different, and it gets crazier and crazier, and— we need something to we need something to push us again. I really, really, really want to see something, even if we get it from the the Clinton side of it, and see what the opposite side wants to do and how art can be pushed. That one, I just don't see it being pushed on her end enough. Yeah, I can't see the Catholics and the and the tea baggers uh, going artistic mode and, and making awesome country songs. I, I just that are going to move the nation. I I don't know. I that's this this is the one thing that. I'm looking for and I'm anticipating. I'm greatly anticipating this because music right now just bothers me. It just bothers me so much. It's a lot of corporations and that's, I know where it's coming from and what's causing it. That it's, I think Taylor Swift is really creative, but I also think that there's more than just Taylor Swift out there. Well, that's your opinion about Taylor Swift being creative and (laughs) that does not reflect everybody on this podcast. So we just want our viewers to know. Um, but yeah, no, no. Listen, I, I, listen, are we going to have bad blood? 
<laughs> oh, that was clever. <laughs> good for you. That, that was good. But no, no, I definitely, I do agree with you. I, I think, you know, we do get to see these big faces and we get to see the Taylor Swift. But there's someone more than just Taylor Swift, especially in like a pop music landscape, because that's kind of my bread and butter with music. I, I'm a huge pop fan. And it got boring for a while and it's still boring. And after Lady Gaga wore a meat dress, everyone was like, well, fuck, we don't know what to do now. So, yeah, I want to see something else shake it up. And we need something crazy to happen. We need a bomb to drop within music so we can just start from scratch and build something new. Like, if we need to make a new genre of, like, yodeling grunge, I don't care what we need to do. Something needs to happen. I know. Where's that new What's that new genre that's going to... Did dubstep, like, ruin it for us? Is that what happened? Well, electronic music definitely, I will say that was a big revolution that's happened. And I didn't expect after dubstep to see EDM and to see these big festivals that it's just Skrillex jumping on his Mac and having fun and to see that's what music progressed to. So, yeah, I think it's interesting what our revolution was. And I don't want to, you know, we all don't need to go back to playing instruments. And I don't think we all don't need to go back to playing instruments. Well, no, I don't. I don't. I'm not like, especially I'm not a musician. I don't think that's like whatever you want to do because i'm a big rap fan too that's all producers a lot of them do play instruments but if you can make something that's awesome with your keyboard that's cool what you can do but i do want to see something interesting happen and something something with a new genre or reinventing a genre that's already here because rap got boring pop's boring rock i don't know what happened with rock really like japan's kind of killing it right now with like baby metal and what else uh, you know we, maybe Japan. We should look at them because I just did an article about J- Japanese films, and they during the conservative times get really weird. And yeah, I really want to see what we can do. I'm just trying to think. I'm tr- my brain is just racking it. Where where is it going to come from? And I mean, I was at the Vans Warped Tour, which is which is kind of just very not very bland, but very very mellow. But I was I was glad to see that there were 70 bands, and I was glad to see the up and comers. Uh, I I. I live close to a nice, like, it's not nice. I wouldn't say it. The Bend. I live close to the Bends, and they have bands coming in all the time. It's more of like a rock, punk rock venue. It's it, the, the stage area is smaller than my garage. It's so tiny, and people are crowd surfing in there, and I've gone to see a few bands in there, and, and I know that there's people creating stuff. I know that, that we're, that's, that's the thing I don't understand, is we're in such an era where everybody can create stuff, why aren't we creating amazing stuff? Like if, um, when where everybody can do it, why, you know we're just getting average stuff. Yeah, because I definitely have noticed that with like the YouTube generation of stars. I'm like, okay, you guys know how to edit a YouTube video together. Edit a fucking movie. Like, do something more with it. And I definitely want to see art be pushed a little bit more. And I want to see, I'm a huge performance art fan. I want to see some crazy shit happen at the MoMA where it's someone sitting on a chair for 48 hours getting whipped. Like do something progressive, man. Like, yeah, we are very, we are very stagnant. And I want to see another John Waters come out in the movie scene where we're making shock movies. I want to see another Marilyn Manson in music where we're pushing boundaries and pissing people off. Yeah. I I definitely think we are going to get that under a conservative reign. And look how boring the Obama years have been. Like, decent politically, boring artsy. I saw Marilyn Manson last last summer, and he is the Taylor Swift of the hard rock music. Oh, yeah, he is. It, yeah, he as is. As hard the, as he thinks he it. is, like, he is so Taylor Swift. He's like evil Taylor Swift. 
<laughs> that's that's the, the nicest guy. I bet he would love that compliment too. Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. He is. It's so funny that like once you get to a level where like I'm so awesome and punk and like so anti-establishment, when you're selling out millions of people, you, you kind of lose that a little bit. And speaking of film, who are who is going to be my new Wachowski brothers? Like when mm-hmm. the Matrix came out, and I know that they're I don't are they sisters now? Yeah, yeah, because both of them transitioned. Oh, they both transitioned now. Yeah, I, I was just like, oh, you both are doing. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> whatever you guys want to do. I have to say, that's fine. I just, that's whatever you want to do. Uh, Speed Racer is still an amazing film. I saw it in the IMAX. It was amazing. You guys underappreciated it. But no, who is the next Wachowski Brothers? Because when the, when the Matrix came out, that shit changed the world yeah. for film. I, I really want to see something like that. And I I really want to see someone in the, the art end of it. I'm a huge fan of Lars Frontier, but he's been around since like the late 80s, early 90s. So he can only make Nymphomaniac so many more times. Where oh, are they in like Nymphomaniac like 22? No, no, they only did two Nymphomaniacs, but both of them are like three hours long. It's, and it's still one movie. It's like he killed Bill that. It's like these are two separate movies, but watch them all at one time and it's six hours. Have fun. So that I want to see more of that, though. Like I really want to see uh, like film be pushed. And I don't know who's coming up and doing some really good films. I really like uh, the director who's been doing Birdman and The Revenant. I really think he's kind of pushing some boundaries. Uh, he's doing really good. And I thought Nolan was going to be that for a while. And then Nolan kind of. Just fizzled out. Ah, oh, I liked Interstellar. Yeah, I, I, I think he's done good, but I don't think, I think he kind of, after Inception and The Dark Knight, he, he, he that was his kind of, that was his, his peak. That was what he's going to do the best of. And I want to see him hit another peak, but I, I, I don't know if he can do that again. You know who I really like, who I think, and this could be a sign of the times that we're not really doing so well. But the guy who I think is is just trying to do shit and people just don't take him serious because he's a fucking whack job is Shia LaBeouf. I oh, think, yeah. I think he... I watched when he was in the elevator where they had that thing videotaped where he was just sitting in the elevator just having a conversation with people and they videotaped it and people just kept coming in and out. And I was like, this is awesome. I could watch this. I, I get Because I was at my computer working for Monkey's Fried Robots and I was just like, this can be on all day long. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, he's he's done really cool. He's a friends with a performance artist uh, named Marina Abramovic, and she's done some crazy artwork before. And to see him kind of be like a protege of her and see what he's been done, because I loved when he watched all his movies. Yeah, I thought that was genius. And I yeah, I know he's batshit crazy, and he wore a paper bag to the Nymphomaniac premiere that said, "I am not an artist." Whatever he wants to do, he can do. And I like that, and I think that's fun because you know when Gaga was at her most Gaga, she was kind of pushing everyone's buttons and I really like that and we kind of lost that for a little bit we got a lot of crazy shock art people and they were just like oh that lasted for two years Angelina Jolie dating uh, Billy Bob Thornton when they have like vials of blood on their neck like who are those who are those shock crazy people you know or Billy or when Angelina Jolie was making out with her brother like all those there was there was moments and times and, and now we have like Miley Cyrus is my boy Kanye, he's killing it. That famous video where he has those wax dolls of all the celebrities that are in bed and they're naked. That was ballsy. Like, and how each one's connected to his personal life and connected to pop culture. Just genius level. I re- and I know he gets a lot of flack because he is an asshole and I get it. He's but an idiot. Yeah, but it, it's fun. And I, I guess a lot of people 
don't understand or don't care. And I'm like, I get it. I think he's funny. I I take a lot of it as like, to me, and I this is going to piss people off, he's the Deadpool of rap. He knows what he's doing. He's admitting what he's doing. And people are so pissed at it. But he breaks the fourth wall. He says I'm an asshole all the time. His new album has a song called I Love Kanye. And he talks about Kanye loving Kanye. Like, how much Kanye loves himself. And I'm like, you, you've hit it. You've hit your level of being self-aware. And yeah, I definitely think he, him and Shia LaBeouf are just pissing people off and doing whatever they want. And I, so yeah, if we could see more people like that. All right, well, we just hit the, we hit the point right here where I was like, okay, number one, I'm writing down all those ideas. You have to write that article where Kanye is the Deadpool of the rap game. Like that article needs to get written. You know, like whether it's five reasons why Kanye West is the Deadpool of the rap game. Like whatever you need to do to make that happen, that article needs to get like written and put out there right away. Ah, I'm trying to think of all the different crazy things that are going on in the world of pop. Like because when Kanye was like, "I'm the I'm better than Andy Warhol," and I was like, eh, "I don't know, Kanye." I mean, I I, I there are. He, he is on Saturday Night Live almost all the time. Like he's either on Saturday Night Live or he's a character on Saturday Night Live being made fun of. And Saturday Night Live is a good bar on on what's going on in the world of pop culture. And and uh, even though Saturday Night Live is kind of hit or miss these days, but I, I feel like if you're on Saturday Night Live a lot, you're influencing pop culture a lot. And and he is. So that makes so it's him and Miley Cyrus. Or the two people that are always on Saturday Night Live. And we need to get more pop culture icons, like new ones, coming up. Like, who's going to be the phenom? I need a phenom to come out of nowhere. Yeah, we've only had one true millennial star, and that's been Lady Gaga. She's the only one from the new generation to become that phenom icon. So, yeah, we de- we need someone after her. We And we need it soon so we can have awesome crazy pop culture moment so the first half of 2016 doesn't have to be so boring because madonna had like the did madonna have the 80s and 90s she had the 80s and 90s she had 20 yeah because like late 80s was like really big stuff in the 90s when when she did her sex book and movies and all that other yeah, stuff. yeah she was in dick tracy and everything like that i'm trying to, and, and then i'm trying to think of who michael jackson was in the 80s and 90s and i mean are we, is it is it i mean adele i think adele is really funny yeah, I, I saw her on that uh, the little carpool karaoke show. And that was where my brain was going, man. It's so good. Yeah, she's so funny. Seeing her rap to Nicki Minaj, like, she's really, really cool. And I think she gets it. I don't think every one of her songs is this, like, epic show-stopping number, but she's awesome, funny person. I, like, recently she's getting, like, in trouble for, like, cussing, like, 18 times in a two-minute speech. And I'm like, yeah, she's this English hood rat. Like, I I love her. So, yeah, that, she is one that actually has taken over kind of a big pop culture, and she's a big name that we talk about a lot. I I love, I think it was in that one where she was talking about how she's like, ah, I get drunk, and then I just email free tickets away to my fr- to fans. And I was like, oh, my God, I love you so much. Yeah, she get a couple gets of miles it. of wine. I get a couple of miles of wine. Just in there, I'm like, look around the bar. I'm like, who wants free tickets to my show? I'm like, Adele, you are the best. I'm gonna. I might butcher his name, but I, the one guy that I would like to see him create more, and I think he will because he's ending his run on Hamilton this year, is Lin Manuel Miranda. I, I, I think that could be a guy that could yeah. do some cool creative stuff. 
Because I know he's taking um, his show that he had uh, in the Heights and he wants to make it into a film. And I really hope he directs and stars and produces because he is actually a, a really cool person to push art in a live Broadway format and TV and film and rap. Because his speech at the Tony Awards where he like did a freestyle was genius. Like he's awesome. I, yeah, I'm glad you brought him up because I definitely think he is pushing boundaries way more than anyone else that's in hip hop, music, TV, like he he is he's a, he has his finger on the pulse. I think the the revolution it may not come from the artists, it may come from the medium. Yeah, absolutely. Um as long as it doesn't come from fans because fans have tried to control art for a while and it is for the fans, but I want to see artists create badass shit and I want to see the medium change. I want to see you know, we've seen a lot on TV where they've been doing a lot of the the live Broadway kind of shows. So I think that's something different and to see Broadway influence TV a little bit more. So, yeah, I, I definitely think mediums are going to start changing. And that's when we can change artists once TV changes and like the Netflix era of stuff. I think Netflix, you know, it doesn't even have to be a person. That's a crazy phenom that's happened right now is the Netflix and chill era of shit and like how we have binge watching and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's pretty cool that it's not just people. I think I don't know if Netflix, how Netflix will be able to work this out, but I think if Netflix comes up with a model where you can submit your film to Netflix and then it gets approved, and then you get paid based off views, they do it. They do. Um, they yeah, because well, trust me, as like a independent filmmaker, I've looked into all this. Amazon right now is the the one who does it the most and who really does push a lot of artists. Amazon uh, with their kind of indie work that they do, but yeah. Uh, they did it with uh, it was called Hush. I think oh. it came out where it's a blonde, uh, deaf and mute woman kind of. It's like a strangers home invasion movie, and it was produced for Netflix, and it was through artists and stuff like that, and independent people. So they are doing it, and I definitely think like that. Like I said, they could definitely push a lot of boundaries as well. So yeah, you have a good point that mediums could be the one to change, like the the, the current way of art. Yeah, I'm like, what's gonna be the next Blair Witch? Like what is that? What is that going to be in the world? Uh, you know, because that was the steady cam or not steady cam. But I, I mean, like, I know they're not going to reinvent things. The Blair Witch and then Matrix; those were the two things that kind of like revolutionized. Oh, you out. really love 1999. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's, oh, I'm sorry. Are you bringing up your article that you wrote about why 1999 <laughs> is the best film year ever? It is, but you know, whatever. Or 84. 84 is my other favorite year. What happened in 84? Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th Part 4. There's a couple of good, like, more Hollywood-style movies, but that's a great year for horror films. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of good ones. 75 is awesome because Jaws. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of good ones. One, 1999. How old was that? I was 23. Sounds like a hate. I think that's, like, a, a good primer. I mean, Blink-182 was going crazy. Uh, I think they were going crazy at that point in time. Yeah. Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera for fighting uh, off. Like, what a what an era for like pop culture too. And ninety nine was you got, honestly, got Will Smith doing getting jiggy with it sometime Will around Adam, that. Yes. Oh man, it was yeah. That's a, we didn't know if the world was gonna end. We thought the world was gonna end, man. Yeah, I want to go back to see what we were like, like 2012, when that whole Mayan thing was happening, and to see what we were talking about and what pop culture was like. Even though we got those shitty like disaster movies about it, we were we were. By then you're 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 already gone through it several times because I think there's been a few points prior to 2012 where they were like 
it's going to be the end of the world. The shit's going to hit the fan, blah, blah. And... Well, yeah. Christians were rapturing this off, like, every, like, six years. They were like, the rapture's coming. And I'm like, well, damn, like, I'm not ready for it. I haven't done my hair or anything. Like, come on, guys. And zombies won't die? Like, what's the next... Because we went through vampire. Because early in the night, I think it was early nineties or two thousands. Vampires are pretty big. That's when you had. They've gone kind of in. The, we had like Blade and the interview with a vampire in the nineties, and then obviously then we had the Twilight, True Blood era. Uh, fuck that shit. Ah, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I've been wanting to know what the new horror genre is because zombies was really big, especially with Walking Dead, Ghost of. That's their big one right now. Is the paranormal James Wan. Something jump scares at you, and that's supposed to be a great movie. But haven't we like done that enough? Like, uh, the, well, the, I'm talking about the Japanese horror. Like, we went through the Japanese horror cycle. Is that what you're talking about? You're talking yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've done a lot of just the 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 paranormal activities, the Conjuring, Insidious. Those have been really popular right now for a couple of years. So I think since like 2012 when they started. But right before that was torture porn, Saw, Hostel, right. those kind of films. I want to see what the next one is and. If it's going to be, I really want to see exploitation films come back. I really want to see some Texas Chainsaw Massacre gross stuff again. But it's not just torture. It's uh, It has a political message behind it. And that kind of goes back to saying we need that. We, we need, need Donald that, Trump we, in office. Yeah. If I will vote for him now if he promises to make art more interesting. Like, make it make America great again. No, just make art good. Like, that's all I need. I want the I want the religious horror. I think that that's the stuff that kind of creeps me out. I I'm on I'm on the edge when it comes to religion and, and heaven and hell and gods and I love demons and all this thing. That's why I'm watching Outcast right now and I really like that show. The only problem is only four hundred thousand people are watching it each episode because it's on Cinemax. Like and it's owned by HBO. Just put it on HBO. Just just find a time. Just put it on HBO now so everybody watches it. I know I was so upset because the d- guy who directed the first episode graduated from my film school. So I have this huge, massive love for Adam Wingard. And I was just like, damn, you created a great pilot. One, you should be here for more episodes. And two, more people should have saw that great episode. So, yeah, I, I, religious horror is a really cool thing because, God, The Exorcist. Like, what a moment in pop culture that happened. Oh, no, that's my dad still talks about how that's the scariest movie ever when he saw that as a, as a kid. Uh, when that came out, and he's just like that. I just, he's like, Jaws made me afraid to go into the pool, and Exorcist just made everything scary. And <laughs> it when, made life, made life scary. scary. <laughs> I, I think we hit a good point. I, 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 we need to have more free, we need to have more Hamilton discussions, freestyling it. Yeah, I, I definitely think this gives us a cool back and forth banter because, like, we are very scattered brain humans, and when we use the scattered brain, to our advantage, it works perfect. <laughs> All right, let's do one more weather update for Chad. Chad, it is mostly cloudy, and it's down to 66 now on this Wednesday night. So, Ooh, Chad, you might need to put on a, a parka. But you're you're from Canada, so you can just, like, cuddle up with a moose. So, Chad, you take care of yourself. EJ, uh, you're going to hang out with the giraffes. So, I mean, have fun with the giraffes this weekend. Yeah, and I can't wait for next week. I think, or not next week, I think we get some good movies coming up. And I just saw Secret Life of Pets. So I can't wait to finish my review about that as well. Yeah, you have a great weekend as well with your poop-filled house. Oh, my poop-filled house. I, uh, speaking of paranormal, we got, we got Ghostbusters coming up. And that's going to be a very polarizing film. And I'm hoping for the best. Uh, prepared for the worst, but hoping for the best. And I... I that's next week. I can't believe Ghostbusters is finally here. Yeah, after all that controversy and all the shit that we've been hearing about it, it's one of those things. It's like 
I just want to get it like over with and done so we can kind of move on and like have something new to bash, I guess. But yeah, I'm interested for it. I think like all the hate has made me even more excited to watch it just to see what the hell is going to come from it. Hi, EJ. You have a great weekend. You too. Hey, Matt, we survived another episode. Oh, no! Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host EJ is also on Twitter at EJ Christ with a K. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on SoundCloud. If you have a chance, we would greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. All of you Android users out there, listen to the show on Stitcher. Additionally, there is this great app called TuneIn. Listen to every radio station in the world, plus the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. There are so many people that made the 82nd episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. Special shout out to my co-host EJ Marino for putting up with me. Jeff Shade is creator of our amazing intros and outros. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkey's Fighter Robots logo. Are you a monkey or are you a robot? The staff of Visual Realm built our website and keeps us up and running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Monkey's Fighting Robots. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.